Hello and welcome to The Crux, the weekly women's agenda podcast. In today's episode, we will be talking about some of the latest Nobel Prize recipients and what it says about the need to get more women involved in STEM. We'll be discussing the very interesting boy math social media trend, plus lots more. Thank you for listening. We are recording this episode of The Crux on the 5th of October, 2023. My name is Angela Priestley, joining you from Gadigal land. And as usual, I'm joined by my co-founder and Women's Agenda editor, Tala Lambert. Hello, Tala. Hey, Ange. I love how, like, sceptical you always sound when you say, hello, Tala. (laughs) It's like... Well, I might just say that uh, prior to the recording, and I'm about to swear right now, but Tyler, you did tell me, I said, hey, I'm going to go to the intro, and your response was, cool, don't fuck it up. So <laughs> that's, that's how you feel about me. Some, so there we go. That is some solidarity. <laughs> that is, I know. I just, I just love doing, I, I love hearing that at eight o'clock in the morning. That's um, <laughs> a nice vote of confidence, hey? Uh, so we, uh, we do have lots of, to discuss today and I might say that my intro probably wasn't that comprehensive because there's loads more that we will be going into. We do want to take a look at the latest list that's come out from LinkedIn about startups in Australia and the fact that only one female co-founder was on there. So we will get to that too. But first, Tala, to hear your win. My win this week was Dorothy Hoffner from Chicago, who became the oldest ever skydiver after completing a 4,100 metre jump on Sunday. And I just, I love this story. I love this photo that we've got of Dorothy in the air, soaring through the skies. She is amazing. She said, age is just a number. And She said it was wonderful up there, it was delightful and it couldn't have been better. It lasted seven minutes and her textbook landing was met by a very excited, cheering crowd. So well done, Dorothy. I love stories like that. I hope that I am like that when I'm old, but I know that I won't be because (laughs) I won't go skydiving as a 33-year-old. So, Well, no, I would totally do it more as a 100-year-old than at my current age because... I just feel like that's when you really test those limits. Yeah, so that's skydiving. I mean, it's not the safest sport, so why not do that later on? I did have a thought, right? Like if you were the one that was taking Dorothy up there, would you – like the panic factor would be real, right? Like it would be quite likely that something could happen to Dorothy in that seven minutes. I would not – I don't know if I could put myself – on the line to do that. But then again, you'd want to be giving her that experience because what an amazing thing for her. But yeah, it would be, uh, it, it be it's a risky little game. Yes, it is. Um, but anyway, glad she ticked that off the uh, the list. We'll see her do something awesome next I week. That, that we, we, we have not done or wouldn't be capable of doing. Or, yeah. <laughs> next week she'll be bungee jumping in Queenstown yeah. or something. <laughs> Yeah. What's your win, Ange? So my win will go to Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill. So I have just enjoyed uh, watching Claire O'Neill over the last couple of days just in her approach in terms of taking on opposition leader Peter Dutton. And she's really taking him on where it 
absolutely hurts, and that is his record on being tough on immigration. Um, and I think she's really effective in doing so. Um, she's really calm and cool, but like just really cutting in her remarks about Peter Dutton. And it comes following um, an inquiry that's been released into into um, the immigration system by Christine Nixon and. This report, the Nixon report, which came out on Wednesday this week, basically highlighted how bad actors have been using the slow immigration system to live and work in the country while, you know, in turn blocking the pipeline for genuine appeals. And basically the report sort of says that these bad actors are well aware that the system takes, you know, nine to 11 years to clear through those appeals. Therefore, that's an opportunity, obviously, to stay in the country for that long and um, that basically intentionally doing so. And O'Neill is saying that, um, you know, they've looked at how this is linked to some of the worst crimes and basically these syndicates being created and O'Neill claims that then also people are seeing this opportunity to come in and create these sort of gang-like crimes to, you know, we're talking like sexual exploitation and human trafficking and really, as she says, the worst possible things that you can think of on the planet that is sort of happening through this system and it's happened because over the course of 10 years or so, and she's really putting this on Dutton, maybe some of it goes to Labor as well, but that the compliance officers and the resources needed in this system has been drastically cut, which it's sort of difficult to imagine that would have happened under the coalition and under Dutton, which really claimed to be so tough on this particular portfolio. So those numbers of staff who are dealing with immigration compliance dropped from 360 to 203. So interesting Mm. to look at that report. We're just doing something on it now, but really interesting to see Claire O'Neill in this home affairs portfolio. And this is one side of it, but also she has responsibility for cyber security too. So it's been great to see Mm. how... I feel she's done a great job there over the past couple of years too, particularly as we've seen some really high-profile attacks there. This is a huge portfolio. It's a difficult one because you're not necessarily always the most popular person after taking this on, although clearly it worked for Dutton in terms of getting to the leadership of of his Mm -hmm. party, but it can be really a difficult one because you do have to make a lot of difficult decisions in it um, that affects a lot of people's lives. And But, you know, I'm watching Claire O'Neill and thinking it's quite impressive. I agree. And you and I spoke earlier this morning about, I think, just the need to have more politicians in plain view that hold very kind of strong convictions and aren't actually afraid of kind of laying things out as they are. And she has come out in really fierce terms around Dutton and Dutton's actions here. And she, you know, blasted his lack of attention. She accused him of failing the system. She's you know, said that there was delay and dysfunction and poor management. And I think using those kind of strong terms and and really making sure that Dutton is put in kind of plain view of everyone and, and what his discrepancies were and what his transgressions were in this portfolio is really important. It's not the easiest thing to do and it's certainly not the easiest thing to do as a woman in parliament often. So um, mm. I, I love to see that and I think we need more of it but I agree with you I think she's doing a stellar job. So on to our first story this week and two scientists whose groundbreaking work saved millions of lives during the COVID-19 pandemic have been awarded this year's Nobel Prize in Physiology 
or medicine, including Catalin Carrico, who is just the 13th woman to win a Nobel Prize in this particular category. Carrico is a biochemist at Szeged University in Hungary, and she joins Drew Weissman in taking out the prize, who's an immunologist at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. This is awesome and just such needed recognition for women in STEM, which is the point that you raised at the beginning of this episode, Ange. So what what are your thoughts on this one? Um, yes. So Karioko and Dr. Wiseman, so they identified a tweak to, and I'm going to talk like I completely understand what's going on here. Like this is just so, this is coming so naturally to me, I might just add. So, but basically they identified a tweak to uh, messenger RNA, which resulted in the ability for effective COVID vaccines to be made in less than a year, averting the loss of millions of lives during the worst global pandemic in a century. So pretty impressive that vaccines is just such a triumph, I think, of humanity, really, of of how quickly we were able to, I say we, like I was personally involved, but I wasn't, but, um, you know, how quickly scientists were able to, to work to come up with these vaccines, which really did start to turn things and just to make sure that particularly, you know, when it comes to some of the most vulnerable people, that they could have at least some level of protection there. We know, you know, was not the perfect thing, but at least some level of protection, which definitely, um, as we know, averted millions of lives lost from COVID. And also that these vaccines will do wonders for other things as well, that these are things that will be used into the future and for preparedness for future pandemics and, and other pieces to support human health. And I note today also that the Nobel Prize for Physics, it's gone to a group of three, and there is one woman within that. And Luhilia, who is French-Swedish, and another impressive feat there. And we are just looking this morning at publishing a piece about her and particularly about her work at the university where she does work in Sweden, which, again, really interesting. Um, I note a comment here about the fact that she um, she basically had to learn Swedish to be, to be working there. And also the start of this piece looks at the um, physics division at Lund University, where they talk about being assembled in a spacious room on the big screen, uh, listening to the announcement of the 2023 Nobel Laureate for physics and their team won and they saw Anne Louis face included amongst the team that won and they all you know started roaring and screaming and were super excited but Anne wasn't actually in the room because she was giving a lecture to students so she was just sort of getting on with her <laughs> she was work. just doing yeah. her job <laughs> I just love that and I just think that just speaks to you know someone who is obviously so passionate about the work and is um, not there about prizes and things like that which is um, cl- clearly so critical to this work mm. um, I guess you know we look at the the history of the Nobel Prizes across the different categories. It's, you know, uh, there's been 894 men awarded prizes and only 62 women, including one woman who was awarded it twice. And it's not like, you know, women only started getting these 10 years ago or something. The first woman to win the Nobel Prize was... Uh, actually in 1903. So that's, you know, this is nothing new here. (laughs) It's been going on. Women have been involved in science for a very long time and um, involved in physics and chemistry and and medicine and peace and, you know, all these things. So it is, but what it does say is that not necessarily that women haven't been recognised. I think that, yeah, of course we need more women to be recognised and we need more women through history to be recognised and to look back 
over the course of history to see where we fail to recognise women and make sure that their names come up. But also this would speak to the fact that some of these fields are still overwhelmingly dominated by men and just you know, the, the opportunity to get more diversity in these fields because we can see the results of the work. It literally saves lives. It literally changes the course of history. And it is so important to make sure that everyone has access to to be able to um, share their talent and what they know and their knowledge in these areas. So that's sort of my thinking on the Nobel Prize. So clearly a lot more work to do in terms of getting some kind of gender balance and the historical recognition of who's being recognised, but also to make sure that at the same time we are inspiring plenty of girls and women, which we are through these incredible prize winners, but that they have the support they need to not only get into these fields but to actually stay in these fields because what we know from the research is that despite women are already in the minority when they go into these areas, but then it's not an easy task for them to stay in it, especially if you consider career breaks and things, and there is a large cohort who do actually leave. Yeah, I think that these stories of these two women this week are really encouraging and completely agree with you that there's just a lot more work to be done to give platform and representation to the women that are in science that are making such a profound difference across different spaces that, you know, hopefully there is some traction there and, and, and this is evidence of it. So that brings me on to the next story, which um, I want to find, like, I feel like there must be some kind of clever segue into this because it does (laughs) uh, from genius women to idiot men. (laughs) There we go. I can do it like that. Uh, So this week we did take a little look at the viral boy math TikTok and sort of general social media trend, which is pretty fun. And it follows the girl math version from a few weeks back which I might say wasn't so fun and yeah not so nice Um, but anyway so this but it's been really fun to look at just people just using social media and Twitter or X particularly for what I think X was really made for and that's coming up with (laughs) really clever and witty commentary about the state of things and I there are days like that where you sort of return to being thankful for Twitter so the boy math trend is uh, really being used by women to describe the stereotypical ways that heterosexual men try to rationalize or misvalue numbers in real world situations (laughs) so and we listed out a couple of examples let me see what did we have here basically taking on now former speaker of the house republican kevin mccarthy over his attempts to avoid a government shutdown one about him saying you know boy math is needing 15 attempts to count the votes correctly to become speaker and then shutting down the government nine months later that really speaks to kevin mccarthy's pretty poor record there i love this one about uh, elon musk boy math is paying 44 billion for a 25 billion dollar company and through business smarts and entrepreneurial know-how turning into an 8.8 billion dollar company well done (laughs) must I mean that's a true feat uh like (laughs) how do you lose that much money and then uh of course there's ones about Donald Trump so that boy math is telling everyone you won an election when actually you lost by millions of votes (laughs) Tala I'm yet to see like more on Australian politicians I hope that we'll get that soon it's mostly been a United States trend but uh did you enjoy watching this play out this week? Yeah, yeah. I hope there's way more of this to come. Some of them really gave me the giggles and some of them, even the less kind of political ones, the yeah. more general ones are really good because, you know, who doesn't enjoy joking about men's ridiculous habits? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so one that I really liked was boy math is saying that you're six feet tall when you're actually only 5'10". Yeah. Um, or the other one that I really enjoyed was... <laughs> 
the one that was said, <laughs> boy math is being afraid of gold diggers when you only have three pairs of socks to your name, yeah. which is <laughs> very true as well. Because uh, how many blokes do you hear say she's in it for my money? When where's your money? Where's your <laughs> where's your actual money, Barry? Um, <laughs> so yeah some of the more general ones really good and I agree I think that this is entirely what social media platforms are made to do um and less of the vitriol more of the poking fun at idiot blokes that's always good I enjoy that a lot not vitriolic at all (laughs) to do that just poking fun it's just nudging Again, you know, gentle nudges about. There's not. There's not any. There's no venom. There's no venom here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Tyler, take us to the next story because, um, again, I think we can find a, a segue. There's a bit of a boy math situation going on here with Australian oh. startups on this list from uh, LinkedIn. There's certainly a boy phenomenon here, and and thinking that men are somehow doing something so much more impressive than women in this Australian startup space. So LinkedIn published a list early this week that showed that Australian startups founded by men have overwhelmingly dominated the nation's top startups. So they had had a list of 20 Australian startups published on Wednesday morning and it featured only one woman co-founder who was like as Anna Podolsky alongside 32 male founders and there was a very limited amount of cultural diversity or any other kind of diversity in that list as well and this story we republished from smart company and they I think they did get a response back from LinkedIn after publishing it that kind of said it speaks to the fact that you know there's still such a a gap in VC funding for female-owned startups, which is true. I think still about 3% of all VC funding is going to female-founded companies. So sure. But I think it is still problematic when we're publishing things like that. They're out in the public domain for people to look at and to go, oh, well, this is reflective of the talent that's out there, of what we are, you know, what we like what kind of businesses we're starting in Australia because we know that that women are comprising a huge part of that now and we know from running our own awards that are actually going ahead next week that the talent in entrepreneurship and in in female founded small business is is huge so yeah Mm. not entirely happy with this list and and probably that's the understatement of the century yeah, so, so the list wasn't like specifically based on so, like a number or something, was it? I because think I mean, they... obviously, given that that fact that such a we're talking like less than three percent of VC funding goes to all female-founded teams, and I think around ten percent or something to teams with at least one female co-founder. So, is it a reflection? I mean, it must be somewhat of a reflection on the lack of women being supported at the VC level. But was that? the specific thing, the definition that they had to meet a certain criteria to be on the list? Well, I'm actually not entirely sure. I don't think so. I don't know that there was a particular kind of criteria around needing investment to make the list. Um, Mm. But I think obviously investment helps scalability. It helps you to grow profile as a small business. So I understand 
that reasoning from LinkedIn slightly, but I also think that they should be doing more to to highlight the those stories of female founded businesses that are yeah. you know really really impressive and solving some of the biggest problems that we have right now, which we know yeah. is very much the case. Um, the other thing I wanted to note was like there's no diversity in the location of these businesses really either. So of the 20 companies featured, 12 were si- located in Sydney, um, including the top four. Uh, six were Melbourne-based. There was one from Darwin and there was one in Brisbane. So I think that's mm. problematic as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. what, what is that saying to us? Yeah. And what um, was the diversity in the um, industries of the businesses as well? I mean, it's, it's just I find... Even if you like when it comes to having like a, a criteria or something, like if you do or say like these are the 10 companies that, you know, grew the most, the 10 com- the startups that grew the most over 2023. And if they all happen to be men, I get that. But at that point, you want to like state that up front, like even it's a headline, hey, you know, like the 10 companies that happened to grow the most in 2000, 2023 are all run by men. Like that should be the story in a way because that's saying, well, clearly, you know, that's great for them, but clearly there's something going on that only this this type of person is able to um, get to that level. So, and the other thing with setting like a really key criteria around lists or conferences or awards or whatever it is, is that you need to have some flexibility and just consider what that message is sending, you know, unless you're trying to tell that clear story of like only these certain people are able to get there. But I often remember you'd see like um, conferences and it'd be like a CEO conference or something and be like, oh, well, we couldn't get a woman because we asked, you know, the 10 different, the 10 women who are CEOs on the ASX and 200 and not one of them could do it. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, at that point you need to change your idea about CEOs because this is reflecting back to people in terms of what they see a CEO is and surely it can't be great to have a whole conference of just white male CEOs called John or Peter or something doing this event. So, yeah, I, it, it's um, it's always tough. I mean, I'm glad that it's there and it's sort of opening up this conversation and people, it was so um, stark and obvious and people are talking about this now. I hope that more VCs will talk about this and think about their responsibility in this because you can't be doing the best job by Australia if, if there's only certain types of startups that you're back or certain types of founders that you're back. Yeah. Um, the need for diversity is so important and particularly diversity in, I mean, what we see and we've, we've seen through our awards process is the really interesting different businesses that women bring through that are not necessarily standard kind of fintech mm. or, you know, another. Yeah, but, but particularly yeah. in femtech and in social mm. impact, you know, we see women really leading in those those spaces and I'm just looking at the LinkedIn profile now and I, I can't see any criteria around you know, them needing to have had investment that year. I think they Mm -hmm. have noted that there's a turbulent market, but these are some of the companies that have managed to acquire some investment, but but not that that's what the sole criteria was in highlighting these businesses. So yeah, I think more work that's needed across the board, really more work that's needed in VC funding, which we know, and there's more work needed from companies like LinkedIn that are doing this and publishing you know, profiles like this when we know they're problematic and we know that they do ultimately cause a bit of harm because people are looking at that and going, well, that's reflective of of where we're at uh, when Mm. we know that it just evidently isn't. Also, I would also note that there are female-owned startups that have gotten investment this year. So, um, Mm. yeah, exactly. We can. it's, It's not like we're just in that space. I think that probably rounds us up for this week. I know there's a lot going on around The Voice. We've only got one more week 
left to go and it's very high on our minds and we are also entering a week with our leadership awards on next Friday and Professor Megan Davis giving the keynote address at that event which we're incredibly excited to to hear, particularly on the eve of the referendum. Thank you for listening to The Crux, Women's Agenda's weekly podcast. And a reminder, you can subscribe to our lunchtime daily newsletter and check out all the stories that we have spoken about on this episode on womensagenda.com.au. Thank you for listening. <laughs>